0: Now, when I tell people, oh, I really want to do TV, and they say, oh, you should be on TV. Why are you not on TV? And I think, because I was held down. Yeah. Because I was told I wasn't enough, and I wasn't good enough, and I couldn't do it, and I didn't have that foundation of belief. And the one person that cheerleaded me was my mum, and she was busy caring for my younger brother who's ill. So I lost that courage. And the only thing that changed it was becoming a mum. Because it was in that moment when I became a mother and I had my mental health challenges and they've made me stronger than I could ever have been. I don't regret one thing about those challenges. It was in my journey of motherhood that I realised how powerful a woman really is. And I never look back and now I can look back and smile. I'm not angry about that experience. I look back and I think, oh poor you, you were so threatened by my power and you haven't seen anything yet. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a
1: podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Neve Spencer is a TV and radio broadcaster, best known for her award winning shows on Kiss FM. She's one of the UK's most loved broadcast personalities and the first British Asian to cross over into mainstream radio. Alongside her broadcasting and presenting work, Neve is a proud ambassador for five charities, including the Prince's Trust and Global Citizen. In 2017, Neve made a film about her experience of postnatal depression for Heads Together, going on to speak to MPs in the House of Commons in 2018 to promote discussion around mental health. In the same year, Neve spearheaded the radio industry's hugely effective Mental Health Minute event, which saw 300 stations coming together to raise awareness. Neve has previously been shortlisted for both an Asian Women of Achievement Award and a Women of the Future Award in their media categories.
0: I grew up in Sonning-on-Thames, which is a really beautiful part of Berkshire. The Cloonies didn't live there then. It wasn't that known, but um, a beautiful village um, not far from Reading and... My parents actually moved here in the late 70s and my dad wanted to make sure that his children had a British education. That was really important to my mum and dad. We hail from Northern India, we're Sikhs, we're Punjabis and they had both been taught by the British in India. So they kind of wanted that for their children. So that's why my dad chose England over Canada. My life had been very different. Mm. And I studied in Sonning and Henley and then I went to boarding school in Ascot. So everything was kind of Berkshire, Buckinghamshire base. I felt really lucky, leafy greens, beautiful Thames surroundings, and had really loving, very supportive parents. I was really, really fortunate to just be blessed to be part of the family I'm part of. But I had parents who had had a very challenging time. They had an arranged marriage very typical in my culture, especially in that time. And they were two very different people living in a house. So quite unfortunately, I had to deal with a lot of family breakdown, but without the option of parents getting divorced, which just isn't the thing in my culture, especially Mm. then. So at a very young age, very young age, I think I already learned how to deal and balance with my mental health because I had very unhappy parents and that's a real burden to carry so although I had everything and I couldn't want for anything and I'm so grateful to my parents for everything they gave me there was a lot of underlying sadness in my home and that was a hard thing to navigate through when you're young
1: Absolutely, especially when you're discovering your own identity as well. And what was the the boarding school experience like for you? Because you hear various different things. Some people absolutely love it. Other people are like, I wish I had more interaction with my family. What was it like for you?
0: So my parents had both been boarders in India. So again, they understood the kind of importance of having that continued environment Mm. around you but I actually loved the fact that I could be around my friends all the time Mm. and I genuinely loved it I think because of what was going on in my home it was a really safe environment for me and it really taught me about the importance of human connection on a deeper level than I could have ever imagined because you're living with 50 girls in my year. There were only 50 girls, and you were living with each other day in, day out. You're not going home at the weekends. You're there for prolonged, extended amounts of time. And it really taught me about how to be tolerant, patient, understand different people, different backgrounds. And although I was the only Asian in my school, (laughs) um, which was really interesting, I still learned so much about the world. It was a very, very interesting and enjoyable experience. In fact, I would do it all over again. And people do say that, you know, your school years are your best years. And some people agree with that and some people don't. But for me, I just loved the boarding school experience. I did.
1: It's really interesting because clearly these experiences that you're talking about have shaped what you've gone on to do and where your interests lie and where your expertise lies within the working world. But what was or what were your first steps into the vocational world outside of school or university? What were you interested in and what did you go on to do? Did you have part time jobs? How did that all lay out for you?
0: So I always knew I had gift of the gab. I knew very well at boarding school. I could get myself out of any situation. I was really naughty and mischievous. But I could talk my way out of everything. <laughs> So I knew I was a real people person. And my headmistress said that to me when I was leaving. She was like, I've seen you more in this office than I've seen any other girl in the history of St. George's. <laughs> but you know what, if I like you. You're endearing. And I think as I left, I made a decision to not do my A-levels at an all-girls boarding school, not just because I wanted to hang out with boys. <laughs> that was not my whole motivation. But I actually wanted to experience the world. I kind of only knew a bubble of Ascot High Street And I was like, I kind of need to know what's going on out there because I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. And I thought, unless I really know so much more about everything and everyone, I'm not going to have much to offer. I made the decision to go to Henley College and do film studies, media, photography, much to my dad's disappointment, and (laughs) just follow a path of media, which fortunately my mum was extremely supportive of. My mum had moved here and sort of been forced into a marriage and forced into a life that she didn't feel was right for her and she had to give up her career. I was so lucky because I had one parent who understood me and that's all you need. You just need one cheerleader in your home. And so mum encouraged me to get out there and follow my dreams and get in the working world. My first job was at my local hockey club in Sonning. Okay. I was a terrible bar woman. <laughs> In what I, way? In what way? I could not pull a pint to save my life. <laughs> and when someone would ask for a Guinness, I would freeze.
1: Oh, God, that's quite hard. And you have to let it stand, right? And then you. Oh, yeah. It's quite time consuming pouring a pint of Guinness.
0: Yes. And so, yeah, that was quite an experience. And then I started going into radio and thinking about radio. So I started volunteering at Royal Berkshire Hospital and being part of the radio station there that was part of the hospital. And I remember it was a really grounding part of my life. And the reason was because I used to go around the wards and I used to take people's requests. And these are people that were on their last legs, people that were really deeply unwell. And I started to understand the power of music because their requests would mean so much to them. And whether it was a a wedding song for an elderly person or a song that took them back to a time, I started to really understand how much nostalgic music can mean to your soul and your heart. Mm. And I loved my time volunteering for Raw Box. I wasn't allowed on air by the male co-presenter. He wouldn't let me on air, but he did let me organise the CDs. Why didn't he let you on air? That sounds a bit... He didn't let me on air. He didn't let me on air. And that was the beginning of a long journey of a lot of that a lot of being sidelined for being a woman and wanting to be mm. in the hot seat but it was a good learning curve for me because I started to see it early on I was 17 years old and I started to see what people were putting next to me as a restriction and I did that for a while and then I went to the Bruno Brooks I don't know if you remember Bruno. yes Brooks. I do Amazing. I do remember Bruno Brooks. this is going Amazing. back in the day isn't it yes His amazing mullet, I I went to his radio training school that my mum drove me to every day for three days and I made a radio demo. And at the end of it, Bruno said to me, you have got something, you've got it. So I think you get out there, send this to every radio station and see what they say, but you've got it Niamh. And that was kind of the backing I needed. And from then I just fell into radio. That demo was so strong that I just fell into radio job after radio job. But in the beginning of my career, only the Asian stations would employ me. None of the non-Asian stations would even hear my demo. It was a really difficult time because although I'm Asian, I'm very proud of my culture. I visited India nearly every year of my life and I'm very connected with my motherland. I am British and I don't listen to Bollywood music and bangra music all the time. And I don't watch Bollywood films and talk about Asian culture. I am as British as I am Asian. And I think at that time, people found that difficult to understand. The Asian people found it very difficult to understand. And the non-Asians found it difficult to understand because they couldn't place me and they wanted to place me. And even from growing up in a school where I was the only Asian and never really thinking about my race because it never was an issue, it only became an issue when I went to college and the Asian group came up to me in the canteen on the first day and said, in Punjabi, do you wanna come and hang out with us? Cause you're one of us. And I said, uh, I'm kind of hanging out with my photography group here, Yeah, they're in my class. And the Asian group never spoke to me again. And so it's been one of those times, it's been one of those journeys Kim where I'm still finding out where I fit in. I'm still on a journey of what my identity is and where that lies. And and that's something I think that would happen for anyone that comes from an ethnic minority background living in a different country. So when I started in radio, I took the jobs I got. I knew like a runner, you just do what you do. You make cups of tea, you're helpful, you do what's offered to you. And I knew in radio, it's all about air miles. It's about getting on air. And it doesn't matter where you are, if you're practicing, you're practicing. So I took all the Asian jobs I got. And the first job I happened to get was on Sunrise Radio, the biggest Asian station at the time. I did the breakfast show. That was my first job, (laughs) (laughs) two million listeners. Wow, that's quite a
1: first job.
0: Flung in there. And I then worked on every Asian station there was over the course of a few years, always knowing I wanted to break Barriers and shatter some ceilings and go on mainstream radio. That was my goal. And after a few years of Asian radio, I'm so pleased to say I did that. I got to Kiss FM. I knocked on that door and they said, Oh, we've got an Asian show that you can be part of. And I said, Okay, all right, I'll do that for a bit. And then I just grabbed the opportunity and said, I'm leaving this Asian show that I'm producing that was Sony nominated that I loved to show you that I am much more than this. And the gamble paid off.
1: I find it fascinating to hear you talk about your experience because it's almost as though you weren't identifying yourself. You weren't pigeonholing yourself. Yet other people were almost drawing your attention to it, which just... Is mind-boggling now. You can see potentially, generationally, why that was the case. But it's almost like you were being reminded of who you were supposed to be. And you were saying, well, no, that's not me. I'm going to figure that one out for myself, thanks very much. But that is such a challenging... I, yeah, did I say, it blows my mind. And I appreciate lots of different people have different experiences of that. And they might respond very differently. But you, like you say you were the first British Asian to cross over into mainstream radio, which... Again, you think that's fairly recent history for that to have happened, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I think people are very comfortable knowing what they know. And change is uncomfortable and it makes people question things. And, you know, they're not quite sure what to do with themselves, actually. And they sort of project an image or a feeling of control over you because that's all they know. She's brown. Therefore, she is this. Mm. And, oh, she speaks very well. She doesn't sound very Asian. She doesn't have an Asian twang. Maybe she could do on normal radio.
1: It's all about them trying to figure it out so they know how to feel comfortable in their own skin, isn't it? It's nothing to do with Yoon per se. It's literally like, oh, how do I put her in this
0: box? It's frustrating. Totally. It was really frustrating, but it was also really liberating. It was so liberating because when it started to happen, I was just hungry for more. And when I broke into Kiss FM and I was on air and I started to get bigger show after bigger show, no one knew I was Asian on air. And I was like, good, you shouldn't know. But at the same time, you should know. It was one of those scenarios where you want that welcomed opportunity and that wave of inclusion to happen, but you also want to be celebrated for the things that you actually are and all those different things that you are. And I think tokenism at the moment is a big thing because. It is absolutely wonderful that there are more and more opportunities coming to people like myself, because 15 years ago, when I started out, there were none really. But it's also got to be about that particular talent and all the things that that talent have to offer. You know, I've had people say to me, would you like to come on air and do this thing with us on TV? But could you wear your headscarf? And I've said, I'm not Muslim. (laughs) You know, if you need someone to wear a headscarf, you're looking in the wrong direction. So I think there's still there's still work to be done.
1: Wow, yeah. Okay, <laughs> that just baffles me. Would you say, I mean, obviously we can come on because you started then to write for TV and go into comedy and those kinds of areas. But would you say as part of this journey, has there been a standout moment or maybe a person in particular that has helped Mould your interests or help solidify your interests and assert that you are on the right trajectory in what you're doing?
0: I've actually never really had a guide as such in my life who's been able to help me make the right decisions. And that's something that I regret. I was the person that navigated those decisions for myself with the support of my mum and now my husband, who I've been with for 15 years. But I didn't have that person willing me on. I met very influential people like Pinky Lilani. And from the charity work that I did and the awards that I've won, I've networked with women who have really spurred me on. And those have been the people that I have taken the most from. And I won Young Achiever, I think it was in 2009. And that then led on to being part of the Asian Women of Achievement Network and that led on to the Women of Achievement and really just the luncheons and the get-togethers. When you get to stand around in a group of women who have all done it themselves and you get to share that with each other, it's really powerful. Those, I would say, those are the people that have stood out to me over the years that have gone, go on, Neve, you can get it, you can do it, you're doing the right thing, you know? So tell
1: me more about your career now because you are so multifaceted it's fantastic but I mean it must be exhausting as well but you are also an ambassador for several charities you do an awful lot of work with big brand names you're a (laughs) mum it's just I'm not quite sure how you keep all these balls up in the air as all of us try and wrangle with I'm sure but yeah tell me more about what's going on with you right now.
0: So I've Always enjoyed doing lots of different things. It's just part of my personality. Radio is the love I have. But, you know, commercial radio is somewhat stifling. You can't really get to the nitty-gritty heart of things. And I think I found over my career at Kiss FM that I was searching and yearning for more. I wanted to help people. I'm driven by that need. And my little brother has special needs and a lifelong condition. And I think I have always been extremely grounded in kindness and wanting to use my platform and position to help so the charity work that I've done honestly has been something that has made me the happiest meeting people and knowing that just anything small it feels small but it's huge to someone that for me is golden so I still continue to do lots of charity stuff but at the moment It has been about my kids a lot over the pandemic. I must admit, I love my children. I wasn't expecting to spend this much time with them. (laughs) At all, at all. I hear you. It's been so beautiful as well, because I haven't missed a thing. And the first time around with Genevieve, I flung myself back into work because as a freelancer, I was so afraid of losing the position I'd carved out for a decade. I was terrified. That I just flung myself back in and I gave Genevieve over to my mum, which my mum loved, but I missed her first crawl, I missed her first word, and I sat in a radio station knowing I'd missed it because mum would send me an update, and I just felt like this isn't worth what I'm losing right now. I think the hardest thing about being a woman and a mum is finding and striking that balance, because we desperately need to be able to support our families and support ourselves and support our mental health. And I campaign in a huge way for maternal mental health. I am really, really deeply saddened by how women aren't welcomed back into the world of work properly in this country. I don't think we support women enough post birth when it comes to their mental health. And I started talking about this after my own mental health struggles, and that led to doing a lot of work with the royal family, which just amplified what I was doing. So I was very grateful for that. But I think now my mission is still to help women and mothers to come back to themselves after they have children. And that's Mm -hmm. something I really want to do because it's so important, not just in terms of global money spend and what we lose by women not being in the workforce. It's so important to those individual women, and it's so important to the children that they're raising that their mummy is happy and grounded and feels themselves. So that's sort of a passion project that I'm working on. But my dreams are huge. I mean, When I broke into mainstream radio, for me, that was the tip of the iceberg. I wanted it all. I wanted to be the first British Asian to do mainstream television. I want to not just be on Strictly, I want to present Strictly. (laughs) You know, I want to see on Loose Women. I want voices like mine to be heard that I don't see reflected that much on television. But at the same time, apart from just being an entertainer and wanting to do that side of things, I've experienced so much in my life that I'd love to make films. I'd love to do documentary films because I feel as though I have a genuine way of making people feel comfortable and want to open up to me and tell their story. And I love the power of documentaries, knowing that you walk away from it knowing something different and feeling somewhat changed. And I love the power of that. And so I hope that one day I'll realise some of those massive dreams that I have And in the meantime, I guess I'll just keep juggling all these plates.
1: You're doing such a phenomenal job, but I really feel because obviously, yes, you know, I have a small child too. And it's about getting it right, isn't it? You feel that you have to have this element of resilience. And I think one of the most important things that I learned, it was about us as a unit us as a family because at the end of the day you could read as much as you like you can listen to all the noise that's out there that's just readily available sometimes whether you like it or not people will just tell you their advice on how to raise your child but at the end of the day it's the three of you in the house or the four of you in the house you've got to figure it out so it works for you and it's whatever that button is that you have to push to make that work but yeah thank you for all of the work that you do in that space my absolute pleasure It's what drives me, what keeps me happy inside. So across all of the work you've done, I mean, you've spoken about quite a lot there. Is there anything in particular that stands out or that you're particularly proud of? Is it the mental health stuff?
0: It has to be the mental health stuff. I mean, I remember when I made a film on postnatal depression for the Royal Foundation with the Duchess of Cambridge and Harry and William, it was one of the first conversations of that kind that had been put out there. And I remember that, I'd already approached the charity because I've been part of the Princess Trust for many years. And they said, the Duchess is looking for someone to talk on this subject. Would you be willing? And I thought, my family aren't going to like this. (laughs) None of the aunties and uncle G's and all my family. and Everyone's (laughs) going to hate this. How's this going to go down? (laughs) We don't talk about this. We don't talk about mental health. It's got massive taboos. Kiss FM aren't going to like this. And I just thought, you know what? That doesn't mean anything this is important. This is important for every single woman who wasn't prepared for this, which none of the women who have a baby are. And I thought, I've got to do it. And that was it. When it started and that ball started to roll, I just got hundreds of messages from other mums. And that was it. I thought, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to speak my truth and be brave and be bold for all the women and hope that it can help just one mum think I'm okay I know how to get help and I'm going to make this I'm going to do it so it has to be yeah it has to be the mental health work.
1: How did you first hear about the Women of the Future program because you were shortlisted quite a few years ago and you've gone on to do a bit of ambassadorial work for them so what inspired you to get involved?
0: Pinky Leilani is such an inspiration and just such an incredible force and I had been nominated for Young Achiever of the Year at the Asian Women of Achievement Awards. And after I won that award, I went to Buckingham Palace with Pinky and a number of other people for an incredible dinner. And after that, I started to connect more and Pinky would kind of ask me to come and speak at different events. And because of obviously KISS being that younger demographic, I think uh, I went on a sort of school tour where I would give talks to, you know, girls in their late teens. And they sort of identified with me because they thought I was cool. <laughs> so they kind of like, oh, Neve's cool. you know. <laughs> and that was sort of how I became more part of the ambassador program. And that led on to me being nominated for uh, Women of Achievement. Right. I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish.
1: Here we go. What would you describe as your greatest success?
0: My children and being the first Asian to break mainstream in radio. And your greatest failure? Letting men dictate my life and my decisions from my dad to my (laughs) old boss to my agents, who are all men for some reason who aren't anymore. Mm. Um, That's my biggest regret. Yeah. Letting men tell me who I am, and what I need to do. How did
1: you mitigate that? Because it sounds like you've come full circle and that's no longer a problem. But how did you navigate it at the time?
0: At the time, I didn't even realize that they had full control over me. I was completely unaware. I just did as I was told. I had been brought up by my father and I'd had that relationship for many years where you do as you're told and you stay in your lane and you stay in your box. That's what your mother did, that's what you do. Mm. And strangely enough, I then had a boss who did the same thing to me for 15 years. And so I didn't recognize that that was happening and that I was being kept down. And now when I tell people, oh, I really want to do TV and they say, oh, you should be on TV. Why are you not on TV? And I think because I was held down. Because yeah. I was told I wasn't enough and I wasn't good enough and I couldn't do it. And I didn't have that foundation of belief. And the one person that cheerleaded me was my mum and she was busy caring for my younger brother who's ill. So I lost that courage. And the only thing that changed it was becoming a mum. Mm. Because it was in that moment when I became a mother and I had my mental health challenges and they've made me stronger than I could ever have been. I don't regret one thing about those challenges. It was in my journey of motherhood that I realized how powerful a woman really is. And I never look back. And now I can look back and smile. I'm not angry about that experience. I look back and I think, oh, poor you, you were so threatened by my power and you haven't seen anything yet. I've got goosebumps, I like that. Oh, yeah. I like that, I like it's that a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. I had a little lip tremble right oh. at the end there. You're so inspiring, it's brilliant. So, okay, the mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life?
0: Well, being a Sikh, it is ingrained to us since childhood that we help each other seeks help seeks and seek help other humans and so I've always been a helper that's just been part of my kind of remit that's who I am and so over the years in my career I've always wanted to help other people coming up especially women who have come to me which actually women don't do enough and again I think it's because they feel as though it's an inconvenience to ask you for help But anytime anyone asks me for help, I jump at the opportunity because I didn't experience a lot of that in a crucial time in my life. And it's so important to lead with kindness. Because if you're someone who is conscious of keeping good mental health, you'll know that in your heart, if you lead with kindness, that is medicine for your mind. Genuinely helping another human being, even if it's someone crossing the road, or your neighbour with their shopping, or, you know, picking up a friend's child from school because you know that the mum's running late, whatever it is, any small act of kindness is huge for that person, but it's enormous for your heart and for your mental health. And I've been leading with kindness for years because it's what's kept me going.
1: Is there anything that scares you?
0: Mm, That's such a good question. I mean, Strangely enough, I can stand up in front of 100,000 people and host a festival and Mm. I'm not phased, but I'm scared of the sea, (laughs) I'm scared (laughs) of heights, I'm scared of lifts and escalators and spiders in a big way. Of course, of course. So, I mean, I have those phobias, but I think what really scares me is not realising the big ambitions that I have. That worries me because... I don't want my children to know that I gave up. I think that's probably a fear I have. What's left on
1: your to-do list?
0: There wouldn't be time for me to tell you, this, <laughs> but the, the edited version to break through mainstream television barriers and be the first British Asian woman to be across your telly, not just reading the news or talking about something Asian.
1: I'm going to applaud you, you.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic Neve. thank you so
1: much for taking the time it's been thoroughly inspiring talking to you I feel like I've got quite an affinity with all the things that you're saying particularly about maternal mental health but thank you I really appreciate it
0: thank you so much thank you
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Woman of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Woman of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk.
0: See you soon.